What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Ulm. Today, we got the legendary coach, Ward, Andy Ward, strength and conditioning expert. He's on the podcast today. We're talking shop. We're getting into the weeds. We're talking about speed, strength, being a great athlete, being a great coach, just anything and everything with development as a athlete coach person. It's such a great podcast. I hope you all enjoy. Please share this with someone that you truly care about if you get some value out of it. And please leave a review. It really, really helps grow the show, which helps more people make it happen. With that being said, here is Coach Ward. When you get an athlete in as a freshman or even a portal guy with some years left, what's your starting point with a given athlete when you, um, you know, assess them and then have them give them a plan for growth? And what's your goal uh, when an athlete joins, uh, you know, your guys' program? Yeah, that's like freaking I could spend a whole half hour on that question, man. Um, I'll start with kind of my philosophy on when guys come in and kind of some of the things we do, I build my philosophy around three pillars, injury prevention, athletic performance, and then the winner's edge. When it comes to injury prevention, one of the things that um, we focus on is being kind of orthopedically sound. You know, I don't like beating guys up inside the weight room. I don't believe in doing a lot of overhead pressing. Um, I think that's like just not a football specific movement. I think there's things that you could do that make those kind of qualities a little bit more football specific. You know, I don't really believe in a lot of snatches and jerks and stuff like that. Um, I think those are just kind of very technical movements and we could do things that get the same bang for our buck. Um, And, you know, I do a lot of, functional movement concepts we have like a movement analysis that we do on all of our athletes when they first get here to see how well they move and if they have any kind of movement deficiencies or compensations we kind of address that and what we call activation prior to the start of training and then at the end of our training sessions we call it fix your shit and that's where they take time uh to do what they need to do to work on whatever they need to work on and then um when it comes to pillar two athletic performance, we use a lot of sports science um, to kind of drive our training processes. Mm. We're fortunate to have a really cool donor here. Um, Steven Cloud and Art Garcia kind of really helped out the weight room side. And we have th- uh, three force plates that we use to uh, build individualized workout programs based around what that force plate data is saying. Um, we look at total force potential. And then like uh, counter movement jump and how well you utilize that force. And then that kind of puts you into a program based around what that data is saying. So kind of everyone's doing the same exercises, so to speak, but the intensities and the speed and how much you do of certain exercises compared to other exercises get manipulated based on what kind of uh, quote unquote bucket you're in. Mm. And we do the same thing with speed. Uh, we have, we're fortunate to have 1080 sprints. And so that measures force velocity, ton of different metrics. Sean Robbins does a great job with all of our speed stuff here. And based on that, 
you know, let's say you run a four, four and I run a four, four. Well, how we run four, fours might be different. You might come out the gate hot and then slow down. Whereas I might come out the gate a little slow and pick up as I go. Mm. And the same speed program is not going to work for both of us. It might work for me, but it might, might not work for you. And so we look at that data and then we, depending on the time of year, do three to six different speed groups that the guys will get put into. And that's how we start our session. You go to your individualized speed group, you do your, you know, technical drills, your warm up drills, your plyo drills, your speed drills that you need to work on. And then we all come together and we do something like races or something competitive. And then we finish a session off with either football or conditioning. Um, and then we're also fortunate enough to have um, a GPS unit for every single athlete on the team, 110 of them. And that kind of helps us build what I call acute to chronic workload ratios. Um, so that way athletes are prepared for the demands that they're going to see inside training camp. Um, so the same number of sprints, same number of accelerations, decelerations, change of directions, all that kind of stuff that you're looking at from a GPS perspective, we we build that in the off season and then it kind of certain days will get changed based on where they're at for their weekly load. And then that'll kind of determine how many reps of sprints they're going to have on a Thursday or something like that. And then pillar number three is the winning edge. And that's all your mindset stuff, your grind, refine, compete, what it takes to respond to adversity, things that you can control. And we integrate that stuff into all of our training sessions. So I know that was a long winded answer, but that's essentially what we do. Anyone new that comes into the program from a transfer standpoint, they immediately jump into that kind of stuff. The freshmen that show up in into June, July, we go through like a, a little mini foundations course where I teach them the basics of technique and weightlifting. And then at the end of that, they go into the individualization aspect of things. Wow. Yeah, definitely a lot to unpack there. That is really, really cool. I love that. The three pillars, um, just off of the first couple of things you said there, overhead movements, what would be something that you would do to substitute those to make it more football specific, like you said there. Yeah. So like, you know, I'll give bodybuilding credit. Like that's a sport. It's a sport of spray tans and steroids, but it's a sport. And if you're doing that overhead press, that's great. Developing the medial cap, but in football, you don't need strength overhead. So we do a lot of our pressing in, in, in specific angles and our angles obviously are from here to like here. And so we'll stand on one leg, so that way that one leg is firing and all the intrinsic muscles they'll hold that leg in a high knee march position let me see if i can try and demo it on camera so they'll hold it in like this position now the core is being integrated and then they'll take one kettlebell and press at that 60 degree angle and that makes it a little bit more football specific in my mind because now it's functional strength versus raw strength or muscle building wow wow, wow. really really cool so what else are there anything else that comes to mind that you know because some of that stuff is a little bit other coaches would be like oh we're gonna do overhead press because we need to like you're saying we need to get that cap strong and we need to get that better is there anything else that's that you do that's maybe a little bit outside of the box or unconventional that comes to mind that you've really liked and maybe implemented especially as you've gone on in your career 
Oh, man. I mean, really, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff, like, is that's a I do I honestly I don't, I have a lot of stuff that we integrate into our program like one of the things that I'm a huge fan of is like um utilizing isometrics so we do a lot of isometrics and we pair those on the front end of our training session usually with some of our jump concepts or our speed strength concepts um and that kind of kind of potentiates your jump a little bit so we'll do like an isometric like an overcoming put the bar under the squat rack and try and lift the squat rack mm. obviously you're not going to lift the squat rack but that concept of potentiating the nervous system and then you go into like a barbell uh jump squat where it's like you know your quarter depth jump barbell continuous jump concept and then that'll go into like a hurdle hop or something like that so you're kind of building total force with the ISO and then you're building a little bit of speed strength. So you're hitting your speed strength quality with the jump squat, barbell jump squat. And then obviously you're hitting your reactive strength with the hurdle hop with the no, no time in between, no contact time in between the jumps and whatnot. Yeah. Um, then I don't know, man, it's just, it's, uh, that was such an open ended question. There's all kinds of stuff that from a functional movement standpoint, Ryan Ray is on my staff, does a great job of integrating in a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, like the way we do our shoulders, um, like our shoulder stability concepts and the way we integrate a lot of that kind of functional range, condition, the FRC with like your 9090s, your pails and rails yeah. and all that stuff on the front end of training before we start. That's kind of a lot of the, we believe in a lot of glute training. So we do a ton of hip extensions and clamshells and band walks. And, you know, we pair those with our FRCs and then we pair a lot of our pails and rails with a lot of our kind of static, more like ready state. I don't know if you're familiar with like Kelly Starrett. We yeah. use a lot of that type of stuff paired with the, F with the FRC concepts, the 9090. I think that's a pretty impactful um deal to be able to integrate in as well right wow yeah definitely the, and i and i'm sh sure with you i've heard you're a, an incredible lifelong learner so when i say a question like that there's so many things yeah um, you that come to mind off of the uh the piece where it, it sounds like you guys integrate the science aspect the sports science aspect of things incredibly well now, I've seen with other people, though, at times, sometimes that stuff can get in the way. How do you navigate that balance of, you know, it's a fine line between straight, all sports science needs to be completely calculated. And then a little bit of, you know, a little bit of that meatheadish side of football. Maybe you disagree with me. I'm interested to hear your your thought of that. Yeah, I know that. So let's start with the weight room side, because that's the side that was honestly the most difficult to balance, because. I've done it multiple ways. I've gone through like a, a whole process of trying to integrate this in. And initially what I did initially is I took, all right, we did our, we looked at DSI dynamic strength index. Mm. And that was through your uh, isometric mid thigh pool and then your counter movement jump. And we looked at the ratio and based on that ratio puts you into one of three groups. And then in each group you had different workout programs uh, based on what you needed to, to, to work on. And I wasn't a big fan of that in a team setting because 
the guys that needed to work only explosive strength, you know, you got these guys over on this side of the room. Then you got the guys that are working total force and they're on this side of the room. And then you got the kind of the hybrid group. And it just was, honestly, it was just a clusterfuck and it was just too much going on in the room at once. It was really hard to manage and not, let's be honest, not every kid is a hundred percent driven and dialed inside the weight room. And so I felt like we weren't getting bang for our buck. So what I did last year and we're talking about how to refine it again this year is everyone did the same movements and your DSI profile uh, dictated what you did for your barbell movements. So let's say on that day, we're doing power clean and back squat and bench press as our three barbell movements for the day. Well, depending on your profile, let's say you needed to do explosive strength. You needed explosive strength on the front end when we're doing like, sorry about that. When we're doing like 60% or 70% of your max, and we're kind of using intensities to kind of divvy up weights to people. And let's say we're doing six sets of power clean. Maybe four of those six sets are going to be more 50%, 60%, lighter, faster, working more explosiveness. And then your last two sets, you touch maybe a little bit of heavier weight. Whereas if you're a guy that needed to increase total force potential, those same six sets, maybe you do one or two sets of the lightweight and then four or five sets of the heavyweight. Mm. And so that's kind of everyone's doing the same shit. Now we're just kind of manipulating the variables of intensity and speed qualities, so to speak, because I'm sure you've heard of the force velocity curve and we're kind of just surfing the curve and kind of manipulating what quality you need to focus on based on that force plate information. Then on the back end, once we're done with our quote unquote barbell movements, our core movements, Mm -hmm. now we're getting into our auxiliary stuff and you know your meathead stuff and your rows and your shrugs and your bicep your tricep your grip strength your post chain and all that kind of stuff and that's well i'd say typically last year that was higher volume work you know we're having debates on what we want to do this year but Last year, that was higher volume, kind of your swolliness, you know, leave the weight room feeling like you fucking got that pump in type shit. Right. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Even as you're saying it, I can see it's a process that you almost, and I'm sure every year you refine it a little bit more, especially when there's more technologies coming out. I'm sure it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. Um, but it's all, it's a blessing, right? Because you guys have the yeah. ability to use those resources at a great school like Fresno State. Um, you talked a little bit about the speed piece of things and, and the different testing modalities that you do to come up with these different plans for guys. Give me an idea kind of off of that similar thing. Like you said, how there was three different groups of guys, but basically just categorizing how you group these athletes, depending on how they test. Give me an idea of how you guys apply that sort of uh, methodology to your speed training. Yeah, that's a that one. So what we're talking about doing this semester is uh, four groups and it's all based. And what we're talking about is basing it mostly off of your force and your velocity that you run with. Hmm. And so your force, if you have and we're going to do a quadrant system, if you have low force, 
and low velocity, you're going to be in quadrant one and you're going to utilize high resisted, super heavy resisted sprints, quote unquote. It's not really a sprint. Let's be honest, because you're probably moving 10 yards in five seconds. But <laughs> then you're going to pair that with a little bit of a free sprint, just a regular ass 10 yard, 15 yard paired with your super heavy resisted mm. and the vector, the force vector that you're going to work in is going to be more horizontal. So okay. your technical stuff, your plyos, your quote unquote warm up stuff. We don't really do general warm ups. Everything from that perspective is kind of utilized and built around the force vector that you need to work on and then the technical drills that are associated with that. That's kind of our warm ups. And so that's going to be quadrant one. Let's say you have high force, but it's a low velocity. So that'll kind of be a little bit more quadrant two down here. And that group is going to be high force, low velocity is going to be focused on more velocity concepts. So that's going to be your group that's going to be doing um, lighter resisted stuff. Maybe you get the parachutes out and something that really doesn't give you a lot of resistance or something that quote unquote opens up once you get past your acceleration zone. Because when you use those parachutes, they don't really open up until maybe 10, 15 yards in. Yeah. And then we're going to pair that we use a lot of uh, wicket training um, where you put out the hurdles at certain distances and work a little bit where you get your 10, 15 yard fly zone into the wicket. And then you're kind of working your posture. um, You're working thigh angular velocity on, on the angles of your thigh and your backside mechanics and the heel recovery phase through the wickets. Um, that would be your, your velocity, high force, low velocity group would be doing some of that kind of stuff. Let's say you're low force, but high velocity, um, that group would be doing kind of what your normal sleds would look like your normal chain sprints, um, a little bit of load, but it's not super heavy. Like your like your group one, um, this is, these are the guys that typically have high top end speed, but can't accelerate really well. And so they're going to be focusing still on that 10, 15 yard range, a little bit of resistance, um, but not a whole super lot. And then the last group is your high force, high velocity guys. Those are like your Ferraris. So we only have a couple of those on the team and they do overspeed training. So we get out bungees, we pull them out of their stance. So they're getting overspeed acceleration. They get to play with the 1080 sprint a little bit because on that 1080 sprint, you can kind of set it to what the individual speeds are for that person. And they're getting to be 101, 102%. They do like your downhill running, um, stuff like that for that group is a little bit more overspeed based. Yeah. Wow. So in, in that group with the overspeed, how do you, uh, program that and make sure that it's progressive overload because that's pretty hard on the nervous system right when when would you introduce that would you introduce that with them right away or would you do a general prep uh with that group as well before getting into that and when the guys come back we're gonna take two weeks as general prep and we're also gonna use those two weeks to collect data um obviously i have data from you know all throughout the season but when it comes to this that aspect let's be honest i mean 
since we finished the bowl game, by the time we start training again, it's going to be a little over a month. And I'm not really anticipating that guys have been running, running like that, especially at top speed. And so we'll take two weeks to kind of build into it a little bit. We kind of touch on each group. So guys kind of have an idea of, okay, if I'm in this group, this is what this group looks like. And this is what I need to work on. And then once we build those profiles after week two, then we start to individualize it and it's individualized for the rest of the off season. Wow. And so when does that go for you? You're basically up until fall camp individualized from there. Yeah. So even in the May break, I know, you know, here I am saying, you know, they probably don't do much over Christmas and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure our guys don't do much over May break, but I think you have a higher likelihood of guys doing stuff over that May break. And to be honest, once you get into your summer, that's strength coaches money making season and you kind of have to make change and you got to jump it straight into it to be able to make that change. Yeah. Very interesting to hear that from your perspective, because I think a lot of people don't realize that in navigating those breaks, because the reality is a lot of those, unless you're super, like you said, there's not a ton of guys that are truly, truly committed to all those little things. Yeah. So before we hopped on here, you talked a little bit about mapping out your year. What's your guys' process with mapping out a year of of training? And, and like you said, there's a lot of discussion. It sounds like it's pretty cool. Like everybody kind of puts in their input and you guys, you know, brainstorm, throw a bunch of things in the pot. But just run me through that, the year planning process. Obviously, I know you could go on for hours about it, but give me yeah. a base overview on on your guys' uh, process. Yeah, so it starts with the head coach, right? You got you got to go to the head coach and you collaborate and communicate and get organized on what that schedule is going to be with the head coach. And once you get your weeks down, so to speak, and when spring ball is going to start, when your spring game is, when the semester starts, when the semester ends, what your discretionary weeks are going to be because you got to have your eight discretionary weeks in before you start your summer program. Mm-hmm. Once you get that all done with your head coach, then from there, I'm fortunate enough, Coach Tedford trusts me and he gives me a lot of autonomy to write the program the way I see fit. I come in with my staff and we do, today was our first day, we did a needs analysis. What does this team need? Because every team is different. The team I coached in 2017 was completely different than the team that I coached in 2022 or even 2018. I haven't had the same team, so to speak, um, in back-to-back years or really ever, to be honest. You just got so many different variables, you know, maturity, communicate or commitment and where they're at nutritionally and what are their habits and just what what is everything that they need to work on as a team and then from there, we go to like, the that's like the mental side, so to speak. And then we go to the physical side. What do we think this team needs to develop in from a physical standpoint? You know, is it gaining lean muscle mass? Is this team just need to get more explosive? Does this team need to get faster? Whatever it might be, right? Those are obviously just some generalized things. And then once you build your needs analysis, then I think you can start talking about your program and how that influences your program. I haven't run the same program in back-to-back years because those those needs have just been different each year. And so then 
from there, you can kind of start to plan, okay, well, we think this team needs to get more explosive. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the system. It's a book. Um, <clears throat> you should look into it. It's a really good book. I'm a big fan of it. The way, the reason I like it the most is because they utilize a lot of math and then us, um, they cat they categorize everything. They use percentages on how much of that percentages you want to use towards that category. And then from there, you can kind of manipulate those percentages based on what you think your team needs. Mm. So like, let's say we count reps. So like the first month that we start training, we're going to do a thousand reps for that month. Well, of those thousand reps, how many of those reps are we going to allocate to strength? How many of those reps are we going to allocate to explosiveness? Right. And then within, let's say we're going to, we think this team needs to get stronger. Well, we're going to allocate 60% of our reps to strength. Okay, let's go to strength. How many percent of those 60% of the reps do we want to allocate to the squat or posterior chain or bench and stuff like that? Um, so once you kind of have that needs analysis and you know what you want to work on with your team, then we kind of start negotiating those. And then from there, once you have an idea of how many weeks you have prior to spring ball, how many weeks of spring ball, how many weeks after spring ball you have, then you can start to kind of map out what you want those blocks to look like. We usually go four week blocks and then kind of go from there. Hmm. And then when those four week blocks, do you incorporate any sort of deload or anything like that? There's always a deload. Yeah. So depending on the, the block, like our first block is going to be two weeks of just kind of GPP, getting them back into it. You're going to we're debating on what we want to do there, but we've done different things where we've utilized eccentrics and isometrics. Um, we've utilized more velocity-based concepts to potentiate the nervous system before we start lifting heavier weights. We've, we've done different things there and we haven't made a decision there. But then after that, we'll go into a linear loading phase where it has a base week, then you do a little bit more, then you do a little bit more, then you back off and have a deload. And then the phase after that will go base, a little bit less, highest week, and then a deload. Okay. And then we'll kind of follow that four week model until we finish the semester. And then once we finish the semester, we'll start that model over again in the summer. Okay. Yeah. Very intensive. That's really, really cool. And especially, like I said before, I think the coolest thing that you're saying, you keep saying we, I like how it's a, it's a group process, right? Hearing all these different voices. I think that's where a lot of those, and obviously you've been in it for so long. Some of the best, uh, conclusions come, you come to them with a team, right? Yeah, I integrate my staff into all of the decisions. Um, obviously, me and the head coach make the schedule, right? Yeah. It, 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 but once that, once that process is done, then me and my staff, and I give my staff kind of roles and responsibilities that they're kind of responsible for and give them the autonomy to write that program how they see fit so like sean robbins he's in charge of speed and you know our speed groups that we're talking about he's the one that's determining who goes into speed groups he determines what we're doing inside that speed group and he kind of is the one that's educating the staff on that ryan reyes does all our functional movement movement analysis and when we get into that part of the lift before a lift on the back end of the lift 
he's kind of leading that aspect of things. And then Thomas Cornelius, he does our quarterback training and he does the O-line, D-line training. And so he kind of leading that aspect of things. And then I have a guy, Tyler Hall. Um, he's our sports science coordinator and he kind of is the one that's managing all the data and giving us, um, you know, when we get into the actual science of the things, giving us the guidance on that. And then, you know, obviously we sit around and we all talk about what we think. And then ultimately, whoever's in charge of that responsibility will make that final decision. But I make everyone say their piece before we make that final decision. It slows things down. Let's be honest, I could probably do everything in a quarter of the time by myself. But I think it's super important to have that investment from everybody. Mm. Wow, what a great point. Yeah, and I even even for us when we because the one thing that I can really relate to you on is we obviously as leaders you you control the player led stuff right like player ran practices things like that and when we have the best player ran practices or when you probably have the best quarter or semester sorry it's when everybody they're bought in because everybody had a say or at least felt like they had a say right um, kind yeah. of look at that what are some bad recommendations that you hear in strength and conditioning and, and your world. I'm sure I, I I can already see some of the things that you said. You you definitely have some opinions about certain things, but especially there's a lot of stuff out there and I see it. Some of it's criminal. What what are some of those bad recommendations that you see or bad things and it, things that you don't agree with in the strength and conditioning world? Before I get into that, I'll say this. I think everything has a purpose. And I think there's unless you're putting your athlete at risk of getting injured or, or something more significant than that, I think everything is a tool and if you have a toolbox and you can utilize whatever's in that toolbox to accomplish whatever means or goal you're trying to accomplish. Um, now, personally, I work with the sport of football directly. I oversee all the other sports and all the other strength coaches that work those sports, but for yep. football specifically, I think the one thing that people do too much of is, is overhead lifting. I'm not necessarily a fan of that um, because I think it, number one, most football guys don't have that mobility in their shoulders to actually get their scapulas to depress and retract in a proper position. So I think the rotator cuff takes the blunt and you're essentially just sawing your rotator cuff off by doing barbell type overhead work. Um, and I think you can do things that take away from that stress and make it a little bit more football specific. The other thing that I that I just I just really struggle to believe in is um, uh, like Olympic lifting, uh, like the snatch and the jerk and like those kinds of stuff. We do power clean. We do like clean pulls or, you know, power shrugs, whatever you want to call it. Um, but like the technical aspect, I think people just beat their athletes up with, and I think it's just not worth it. And then the, the, the thing that I think, you know, people do, and it's tough because like we have a system and if something's going to go into our system, we got to have a discussion and we got to be able to vet that before it moves into our system. And I think some people 
right workouts on the daily or even right workouts on a weekly basis. And they'll see something on Instagram that they think is cool. And it might be something you can integrate into your program, but it might not be specific to your sport. It might not be specific to what that those athletes need at the time. And so I think people fall into that thirst trap of, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, let me get that into the program because I saw this dude who's this influencer doing it. And so I think that's, those are the things that, you know, I think people fall into the trap of. Yeah. And and it is crazy with this generation too. It just, even for me, I was telling someone the other day, it's like, it just, it evolves weekly with this video content and how much is out there. It's crazy. <laughs> so you're a lifelong learner. I told you that uh, coach Pat was talking to me about, you know, how much you grow as coach, how much he respects you. I'm interested to hear, how do you further your growth and learning? Uh, in this stage of your career uh, as you continue forward? Where I'm at now is different than where I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. You know, when I was first starting out, <clears throat> I, to be honest, I, I, I wanted to know everything. And so I would research this topic. And at the same time, I'd be researching four or five other things at the same time. And I became knowledgeable of a lot of things but only a little bit of a lot of things and so when it really came push to shove i felt like i could have really dialed down and focus on less things and really fully vet those things and so nowadays what i do is i'll pick one topic and I really, I only research maybe two or three things a year at this point wow. because it takes me three, four months to research one topic now. And, but when I research that topic, I fucking research that shit. And I go through any and every article, YouTube video, peer-reviewed article uh, that I can get my hands on. And that usually takes you down rabbit holes that you kind of start falling into good and bad i think it's important to learn both for you to be able to make an educated discussion or educated decision and um so that's kind of what i've started doing recently is really like this last year i really only researched two things and that was eccentric utilization ratio and that's um looking at a force plate metric uh one metric and then uh, golf. I'm a big golf guy. So I went down <laughs> <all> of golf. <laughs> got to get that swing right. Hey, got to. Right on. But uh, when I do those things, though, I research everything and anything I can till I come to what I feel is a conclusion of, right. I, hey, I'm starting to kind of repeat some shit. And then I usually take a little break. You got to have that break where you don't research anything. And then you can kind of start to pick something else up. Wow. Wow. That's really, it's cool to hear your evolution as a coach there, just in your, your little bit. Cause I'm kind of the same way. I'm, even as you're saying, I'm like, dang, I am just like, I'm searching for everything and anything to just get my hands on. But you're right. Yeah. Like you just, you reach such, you're so spread out that you never get the level of depth that you're talking about. Do you have any mentors or anyone that's really helped you throughout your career? What are some people that you've really learned from? You know, you talked about resources, but what, what about people? People, um, there, there are certain people that I um, know well um, that are direct mentors of mine. 
that influence me in ways that they probably don't even realize. You know, one of them, my main mentor, I'd have to say, is Shannon Turley. Uh, he's the one that hired me at Stanford and developed me at Stanford. And um, when I stepped, when I uh, Coach Tedford stepped away for those couple of years, I went up to the University of Colorado with him mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of expanded on some of my sports science knowledge up there with him. You know, I was like the director of sports science for football. Um, so definitely him. Another one, you know, I'd have to say is Ron McKeefrey. Um, our stint was short um, together, but he had a pretty big impact on uh, some of the things that I kind of do from a team, um, like uh, the way a team perception is. And honestly, he's got a really good business mind. And I think that, honestly, strength conditioning coaches are salesmen because you got to sell your program to get your athletes to buy into it. Wow. And he's really good at that. Um, and so those are kind of the two people that I would say have direct impact that I still talk to to this day. You know, Hans Straub, he's the head strength coach at Rice. That, that dude is super, super fucking smart. And I value his opinion. Cullen Carroll is the head strength coach at San Jose State. And those are two other people that I worked with at Stanford that we kind of come up together a little bit. Hmm. And um, and those are two peers that I that I have uh, value their opinion a lot. And then people that I don't know that I've researched that have had big influences. It depends on the concept, right? Like when it comes to like mobility training and stuff like that, Kelly Starrett. Yeah. It used to be called Mobility Wad. Now it's called Ready State. Like, I, I love his shit. He does a phenomenal job. The other guy, um, when it comes to, like, speed training, JB Morin is the guy that originally got me into all the speed training. He's, I think, from, uh, he's a European. I think he's from France. Um, but he does a great job of his, like, peer-reviewed articles, and how he breaks it down and he utilizes timing gates instead of the 1080 sprint, which originally with the resources that we had was what we needed. And then he has like this thing that you put in all your information in and spits out what group you should, or what your focus should be on. And then Les Spellman, um, I'd probably say in those speed world are probably the two, two people that we look at the most. And then um, when it comes to, kind of like you know when it comes to your like your programming so to speak like what are you gonna do exercise wise you know um i used i kind of had a shift in the last few years on that and um like gary cook um he's like the fms guy we used to use a lot of his stuff integrated into our training so we'd pair a lot of those exercises but I've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. And I've kind of, I mentioned the book, The System yeah. with Al, Al Parker, Johnny Miller, or maybe it's Johnny Parker. I can't remember the names right now. Uh, that's my asshole because those guys are legends. Um, but I've kind of shifted more towards that model of periodization and training and stuff like that. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you definitely... You have quite a few there. I can, it's, it's really cool to see 
you're seeking out all these experts in these different fields. And that that is kind of what I'm obsessed with, too. It's really cool even to be on the call with you because it's I just love finding mastery. Right. It's so cool to see. And then all these things that pour into development of athletes. Um, when you look back at some of the athletes that you work with, let's start with what are the biggest inhibitors of performance? And then after that, I'm interested We'll just we'll get into that and I'll ask you the next question after. But what are the most common inhibitors of performance that you see with the athletes that you work with and have worked with? Straight up, bro. Mindset, man. Like if they don't have the right mindset and if they don't have intent, like driven intent, that right there is the biggest inhibitor. Mm. Like I don't care about anything else. If they don't want to work then they're not going to give intent. And if they don't give intent, they're not going to get better. So a lot of the stuff that I've shifted my team kind of culture, so to speak, or team environment um, around has been more, and I hate to say it, but it's been more motivational than it has been focusing on the technique aspect of things and the education of certain things because and, you know, it's not everyone, but there are more kids nowadays than there used to be that don't have that self-motivation or that intrinsic motivation. And they rely on other people or other modalities to get them going. I completely agree with you. It is it is sad to see a lot of these kids coming up with that. And, and so kind of off of that, what how would you go about and how do you go about implementing motivating guys but then also increasing that intent right because this is this is the the generational question that people are going to ask even long after we're gone how do you approach that last year we approached it from like a it was positive and we would do certain things before we started lifting like we would watch like squat videos of guys squatting a thousand pounds and I'm a big, like, I believe in routines. And one of our routines is you come into the weight room, you get your workout card, you bring it up on me. When I'm done breaking down the card, we read a quote. And so that kind of builds juice and, and whatnot. And so we'd watch these videos when I'm breaking it down. And then that quote would kind of be like a meathead type quote related to whatever we're doing for the day. Right. So like maybe we have Ronnie Coleman where that video where he's squatting 880 pounds and he's like, ain't nothing to it, but to do it. And then that's the fucking quote. So we're watching him fucking bang out 880 pounds for five reps. And then, Hey, don't be a fucking bitch. Let's go. And then the guys read the quote and it gets the juices flowing and all right, let's fucking ride. Woo. I like that. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to do my best to, to steal that from you guys. That's a great thing. I love that. Uh, wow. So, okay, off of that, intent, all these different things that sometimes guys don't have. How about the best athletes that you've worked with? And I know you've got a pretty extensive list, especially at Stanford. There's some pretty big names that you worked with. Who were some of the best athletes that you worked with and why were they so great? Um, There's there's four athletes that jump out like that are on a different level than other people that I've, that I've coached at Stanford. It was Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey and Solomon Thomas. And here at Fresno, it was Jay Kaner, our quarterback from two years ago. Um, 
those four dudes are all cut from a different cloth. And it's not just one thing that they do. It's everything that they do. It's how they approach training and how competitive those four guys are in the way that they approach training. It's how it's how they are away from the facility. Cause you're here for what, maybe two, three hours a day. Well, there's 22, 21 hours of the rest of the day. And it's like, how committed are you to all those other things, your nutrition, your sleep, your recovery, and all those other things. And like, you know, Jay Kaner, for example, He'd get done training, and then next thing you know, he's getting a massage. He's over there doing some kind of chiropractic work. Then he goes and gets an IV. Then he comes back here, and he watches a couple hours of film. Then he goes and has, like, these, you know, custom meals that he has sent to him. That's the food that he's eaten throughout the day, and the timing of it is super strict and diligent. You know, and then at night, he's he, walking, he fucking bought a sauna. So he's sitting in the sauna in his living room so that way he could get his sleep right. So his core temperature drops a certain amount before he gets in bed. You know, and that was the same thing with like Christian Solomon and Andrew. Like all those guys were doing that shit. Like literally every minute of the day, they were devoted to getting better as an athlete. Wow. Incredible. This, I'm sure it's it's really cool when you run across, across someone like that. Because even like you're saying, right, like. That's four. And how many years have you been in this world? 15. Yeah. So pretty cool. And I, and I hope that people listening to this take, maybe there's one of them listening to this right now. We'll see, but off of all this stuff, and I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, and you guys are lucky you squeaked out with one last year. You know, we had to throw that pick to, uh, <laughs> give it to you guys, but, um, off of that, you know, to finish off here, last couple questions, what advice would you give to a young athlete about to enter their college career? Mm, <clears throat> about to enter their, so they're coming from high school to college. Yeah. Um, the best piece of advice I could give that type of athlete is to learn what your new coaches are trying to teach you. It doesn't matter what your high school coaches taught you. It doesn't matter what your strength coach or personal trainer taught you when you were in high school. If you want to actually get on the field, coaches look for you to do things their way in the way that they're teaching it. And the quicker you can learn what they want, the quicker you'll get on the field. Nice. You talked a little bit about books. Give give everyone listening, what are one to three books that have really deeply impacted your life and you already mentioned the system but what are some other ones that come to mind that really you would give to anybody as a gift or just these fundamental books that you would come back to i do a lot more peer-reviewed articles than i do books so obviously i mentioned the system that's a really that's a foundational book i think another uh foundational book would be supple leopard i think that's super a super good book um as far as like the mobility and stuff like that. <clears throat> the other book that I'd probably recommend would probably have to be either Jeff Jansen, um, his championship, uh, championship team building book or mm, John Maxwell's 17 laws of leaders. Awesome. I asked you what advice you would give to a young athlete but what advice would you maybe give to your old self or a young strength coach that's entering into his career? Um, it, the advice I'd give is exactly kind of what I 
kind of talked about through my evolution is to take your time researching and take your time um, educating your stuff um, or yourself, excuse me, on whatever stuff and topics you're trying to educate yourself on and not be in such a rush to get to what your ultimate goal is. You know, there's a process that it's going to take. And, you know, if you're getting into it, you might not be a head strength coach for five, six, 10 years. And so educate yourself slowly throughout that five-year, six-year process. So that way, when you do take over, you're fully competent because the network will get you the job, but what you know will keep your job. Mm. Drop the mic on that one right there. Uh, I just, this is a question that's just burning with me because I'm, I just relate to you so much. When you say going deep with things and you keep coming back to that, and that's the biggest thing that I'm going to take out of this, but how do you know what to go deep on, right? There's so many things out there. How, what's your process of going through that? Honestly, just, it's, it's just, honestly, just whatever I want to be completely honest with you. And most of the time it comes back to that needs analysis on what I think the team's going to need. And usually I start my research process at the end of July, as the team trainings kind of come into a close and we're kind of starting to get ready for training camp, I start, okay, this is where I think the team is right now. This is what I think can help the team next year. And so then that's topic number one. Usually I start in training camp and that lasts me through the season. And then usually right around bowl prep or the end of the season is kind of when I start to kind of think about topic number two. And I think that kind of builds me in to the beginning of the spring. And then usually it, that's to, at least for the last four years or so, that's how I've done, done it is, all right, what do I think the team needs and that I'm not educated enough or I feel like I'm not educated enough on and then start that rabbit hole. I hope you guys enjoyed a ton. I'd love to hear what was your biggest takeaway below from Coach Ward. What do you want to see more of? Please let me know what you think of the podcast and let me know who else you want me to get on the podcast. I will do my best. We've got a pretty sweet lineup for this year. Some some really cool ones coming up. Like I said, when you share this and review it, it really helps grow the show and it means a lot to me. So if you get any value out of this, I would highly appreciate that. Go make it happen. Out.